0: This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey everybody, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I am here all alone. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see I'm all by myself here. I am missing my good friend and co-host, Tyler Hurley, this week because he is living it up on vacation. And so, Tyler, if you're listening, I'm envious of you, and I miss you, and come back soon. Uh, But he will. He'll be back next week, and uh, we'll have another episode for you then. But today, I'm solo, and so we are going to be talking about uh, kind of something really interesting I've been studying the past couple weeks on prayers of the Old Testament kings and how some of the words they use really relate to our orthopraxy, how we practice prayer. And uh, we're even going to talk about where Paul says, pray without ceasing. So this should be a pretty fun and practical uh, episode on prayer. Uh, But before we get into that, I wanted to give you a coffee tip. All right. So, um, we have, um, done 180 some coffee tips on this show because we do one every episode and we've talked about recipes and we've talked about types of beans and we've talked about how long the coffee plant has to grow until it produces the cherries that have the beans inside or the seeds. Um, we have done so many things, but we have never done this coffee tip. And I, I think this is really interesting. So, um, We talked about how it takes four years for a coffee plant to bear fruit and then produce the cherries that have the seed inside that we use as coffee beans. But do you know how long a coffee plant can produce coffee for? So if you're going to grow a coffee farm, a coffee plantation, how long can you count on some of these plants living and producing coffee for you, especially if you got to wait four years until they start paying off? Well, I was digging into it a little bit, and if the coffee plant is taken care of properly, an Arabica coffee plant can produce coffee, are you ready for this, for about 25 years. Now, that's a pretty great plant, actually. 25 years of bringing forth the most delicious beverage on planet Earth. I think that that's pretty awesome. So if you are going to uh, get your own coffee plant and you take care of it, you can bet on it uh, producing coffee for you for a quarter of a century, which I think is pretty impressive and uh, is also just another uh, example of God loving us and giving us great plants that last a long time that produce delicious things. So there's your coffee tip for today. Hey, um, I did want to say something. Uh, we have had many of you reach out to us uh, on social media and comments in, in the YouTube and things like that, just expressing uh, your encouragement for me moving on to STR uh, to stand to reason. Um, we're so thankful for that. Thanks so much for all the encouraging words and all the people sharing about how uh, this this podcast has really helped in your uh, development and apologetics and evangelism and discipleship. So thanks so much for sharing that. I did want to also mention I am raising my own support to work at Stand to Reason. And if you would like to participate, to partner in that with me, uh, you can go ahead and check out the link in the show notes, click on that and uh, sign up for a one time donation or a monthly donation. And that would really help me out with what I'm going to be doing at Stand to Reason starting in January. All right, well, let's get into the topic of the day. So Before I read through some of these prayers of kings of the Old Testament, I want to talk about a specific word in the Old Testament that is just um, beautiful, just amazing. And the word is the Hebrew word hesed. And that's how we say it. It's. I think it's actually chesed, like one of those kind of things where they when they say it. Um, we pronounce it hesed, H-E-S-E-D, and um, often in, in English it's translated as uh, loving kindness mercy, love. It is this word that is is really multifaceted. It's a big, big term. And so we we don't just translate it in one way because there's so much nuance to this thing. uh, And it's such a beautiful word. So it it comes from um, this other uh, Hebrew word, hasad, which means to bow oneself or to incline oneself to be gracious or merciful toward. And then All throughout the Old Testament, it talks about how God has hesed, how God shows hesed to us, so much so that it's almost exclusively used of God in the Old Testament. There are only two places where it could be uh, translated to be used for human beings, but the majority, the vast majority of the time it's used, it's specifically talking about God having hesed. And it denotes this divine love that comes down to our level, comes down to the creature level from God on high to give us unmerited kindness, unmerited love, overwhelming mercy. It's a lot of times associated with forgiveness, and it is really uh, practically the equivalent, and and it's translated oftentimes as mercy or merciful, mercifulness, um, or showing loving kindness. So this word hesed is a big, godly term. Uh, some of you may have uh, heard some preaching, you know, when a pastor's talking about the three different words for love in Greek. And there's eros, which is like uh, romantic love. And then there is uh, phileo, which is brotherly love. And then there's agape. And agape is like self-sacrificial, big love. Hesed is like that. It's like agape. It's like the best term. But it, but it's like bigger than that. I mean, it is this just beautiful Term of God's Hesed towards human beings. And uh, the kings of the Bible uh, pick up on this theme and they ask for Hesed and they pray for it uh, in so many different places. And so I want to read to you a few scriptures and point out this, this term hesed in the scriptures. So uh, in Psalm 86, King David uh, writes this prayer to God, and he talks about hesed in it. So let me, let me read this a little bit. Um, I'll start in verse 3. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Because you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. That word loving kindness is hesed. You are abundant in hesed to all who call upon you. Um, Hesed is a big, important term, and God shows this loving kindness. God shows this, this mercy towards anyone who calls upon him. If you skip down in, in Psalm eighty-six to verse eighteen, uh, verse fifteen, David says, "But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in hesed, loving kindness, abundant in hesed and truth." And this is the God that that we serve—a God who's overflowing with grace and mercy and loving kindness, and who who comes down and condescends to our level and inclines Himself to our needs. And gives us his hesed. That was in Psalm eighty-six. Now I want to switch over to another prayer of David, uh, Psalm fifty-one. So this is when David's busted, right? This is after uh, he takes Bathsheba um, and and he sleeps with her, and she conceives a child, and then he has her husband killed so that it doesn't look like he did anything bad, even though he did. So he covers up an affair with a murder, um, and then the the prophet comes, Nathan, and he calls him on it. And David then um, writes this psalm, Psalm 51, um, responding to God for the sin that he has committed. So I'm just going to read Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2. King David prays, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your hesed. See that? According to your loving kindness. Be gracious to me on the basis of your loving kindness according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And I love that. He appeals to God uh, during the greatest time of his, the greatest sinning of his life, the greatest atrocity he ever commits. And he appeals to God being gracious based on his Hesed. This is amazing. So he doesn't just pray for it when things are going well, but this is who he claims God is. He is this loving kindness, merciful, big love type of God. Even when we royally screw up, even when all seems lost, we can still approach this God who is full of hesed. I love that. Uh, Another prayer of David in Psalm uh, chapter 25, uh, I'll read verses six and seven. He says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your Hesed, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your Hesed, remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Lord. I love this. So he's appealing to God to remember that he is a God of Hesed. That's who he is. So this is a characteristic of him. It's not merely something he does, but it's something he is. This echoes a lot of of when um, John says that God is love, right? God is love. This is who he is. This is who he is. Another psalm where we see this exhibited is in Psalm chapter 40, which is just an awesome uh, psalm. And uh, I'm going to read verse 11 of Psalm 40. Uh, King David said, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your hesed, loving kindness, and your truth will continually preserve me. I love that. Your hesed and your truth will continually preserve me. We need the love, mercy, kindness, graciousness, loving kindness of God, and the truth to be continually preserved in life. We need that lavished upon us. And I think it's really cool how King David uh, continues to Appeal to God based on his Hesed, to ask for his Hesed, to remind God that he has Hesed from of old, because that's who he is, and that God would deal with him according to his great mercy, loving kindness Hesed. Now, it's interesting. Um, I was looking in some of the prayers that Saul said in the Old Testament, and he doesn't talk about the Hesed of God. But David, over and over and over and over again, talks about it. And then we actually see David's son Solomon talk about the Hesed of God. And so I want to read about another king of Israel talking about God's Hesed, his loving kindness. Uh, 1 Kings 3.6. We'll start in 5, actually. It says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great Hesed to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great Hesed that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So Solomon is claiming to be part of God's loving kindness, part of God's mercy to David. Um, God, God uh, made David a promise in, in uh, is 1 Samuel 7 or 2 Samuel 7. It's one of those. I think it's 1 Samuel 7. And he promises that David will always have a king on the throne. And Jesus actually is a fulfillment of that. But Solomon is the first of David's descendants to sit on the throne and start to fulfill this promise of God. And he says, You showed great Hesed to my dad. And I, in fact, am fulfillment of your Hesed toward my dad. Because you're a God of loving kindness and graciousness. And I think it's interesting that Solomon's prayer to God in this dream where God shows up to him starts with saying how God showed David Hesed. All through the Psalms, David's praying for it. He's praying for it. And then Solomon comes along and says, You did that you were that type of God, you are that type of God, and you exhibited your loving kindness towards my dad in his life. Psalm 8, uh, 22 and 23. So this is when um, Solomon does the prayer of dedication for the temple that he built. And look at what he says, uh, Psalm uh, 8, 22 through 23. Then Solomon Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing hesed to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You are the God who there's no one else like, you keep your promises and you show loving kindness, mercy, hesed towards your servants who walk before you. David asks God for this over and over. Solomon comes along and says, that is who this God is. And he continues to bless us with this. He continues to show us this in our lives. And so this is such a cool old Testament term. And now, um, How does this apply to us as Christians in New Testament times is the question. Well, one of the things that's really interesting to look at is there is this book, we've talked about it on the show before, called the Septuagint, the Septuagint. Um, And what it is, is it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, what had happened is once the Israelites came back from uh, captivity in Babylon, once the Persians let them come back, rebuild the wall with Nehemiah, rebuild the temple with Ezra, um, they they didn't know Hebrew very well anymore because they'd kind of... Uh, learned the language of the land that they were in. And so uh, what the elders decided, if you, you know, going further and further, Hebrew was becoming less and less spoken during that time. And so uh, I think it's about 100, 120, 130 years before Jesus, there was this translation that was done by Hebrew scholars um, where they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek because Greek was becoming the, the language everybody read. And so that's this is called the Septuagint. And um, it's really cool to look at because a lot of the quotes in the New Testament, not all of them, but a lot of them are verbatim from the Septuagint, because the New Testament writers wrote in Greek. And so instead of translating it from Hebrew, which they probably learned as kids into Greek, they just used the Greek translation they already had to quote many of these scriptures. And so, all that to say, when we look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, and we go to those passages that I just read to you out of all the Psalms that talk about Hesed and about Solomon talking about Hesed, we, we want to look at which word the Hebrew uh, rabbis and, and scholars chose to represent the word Hesed in Greek. Because then when we read the New Testament, we can see that that's a a concept that kind of applies in the New Testament. So what was the word that they translated into Greek for the word hesed? Well, the the most common that's used throughout the Septuagint for hesed is the Greek word alios, Elios. And this word all through the New Testament is translated as mercy, mercy. And I want to talk about a couple of the passages where we see it because uh, it's just fascinating. Um, there's these three stories that are similar, but they have differences. Um, but you see this, this appeal to mercy, uh, to Elios, or to or to God's Hesed, to God's Hesed coming upon people. So let me read this passage. Um, this is from Matthew 9 uh, 27. Um, And this is about Jesus healing uh, two blind men. It says, As Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have Elios, or mercy, or Hesed on us, son of David. When he turned and entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. Uh, These two blind men appeal to Jesus and ask him for hesed, ask him for mercy. And it's really interesting because they say, Have mercy on us, son of David. Show us your hesed. Show us this loving kindness. We know who you are. We know who your ancestor is, David, who prayed for Hesed all the time. And you, just like Solomon, are a fulfillment of God's Hesed towards David because you are the heir to the throne who's going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. It's very fascinating. Have mercy on us, son of David. Have Hesed towards us, son of David. There's another story, and this comes from Luke chapter 17, verse 13, and uh, let me read to you, I'll start in verse 11, Luke 17:11. 11, uh, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, Elios which was the word that the Septuagint translated from hesed, right? Have hesed on us, have elios, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but... The nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Again, have mercy on us, Master. Elios, Hesed, help us. Have compassion towards us, loving kindness towards our condition. There's another story, and this is from Mark chapter uh, 10. And uh, this is from verses uh, 46 through 52. Let me read that. It says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, "'Son of David, have mercy on me!' And Jesus stopped and said, "'Call him here.' So they called the blind man, saying to him, "'Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you.' Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, "'What do you want me to do for you?' And the blind man said to him, "'Rabbi, I want to regain my sight.'" And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Once again, Jesus, son of David, have hesed towards me. Have mercy towards me. Have loving kindness towards me. Incline yourself to my plea. Help my condition, right? Have mercy on me, O God. And I love the correlation between that Old Testament word, hesed, and how we see it applied as elios in the Septuagint, and how we see elios used in the New Testament, especially with the cries out to God for help. And the truth of it is, all of us need the ongoing hesed of God in our lives. And what I want you to see is that this was a common theme. This was a common prayer of King David. This was a common theme of Solomon. And this carries over into the New Testament when people needed help from God. They would cry out to him based on who he is and that he's a God of Hesed. Now, <clears throat> I want to take that concept and then I want to apply it to kind of a strange passage in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.17 uh, some of you have, have read this before, and it's, uh, it's a very difficult passage. Um, I want to read it to you. 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, 17. Sorry, I can't find it here. Where am I at? No, it can't be. It must be 2 Thessalonians, unless I was in 2 Thessalonians. There we go. Okay. Where is this at? (laughs) I can't find it for some reason. But this is the passage where um, Paul tells the Thessalonians, and he reminds them to pray without ceasing, right? Pray without ceasing. Um, I think that this is such an interesting phrase that Paul uses because how is it that we can pray without ceasing? And uh, That seems like a pretty uh, tall order for us to never stop praying, right? How do I not stop praying? Oh, here it is. I wrote it down the wrong verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Um, we'll start in uh, 15. He says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. How is that possible? Well, let's talk about what it is not, okay? This can't mean being on our knees 24 hours a day, beseeching God all of the time. If that's what it meant, well, all of us would be dead because we wouldn't be feeding ourselves, we wouldn't be drinking water, um, we wouldn't be providing for our families. Um, if it means a specific posture of our of our bodies and and focusing on prayer all day long, that's obviously not what it, can, what it means because we are told uh, a man who doesn't provide for his family is a worse than an unbeliever and all of your work do unto the Lord and not unto men and take care of orphans and widows in their distress. So we can't do all that if we're literally just praying all the time. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Uh, This word ceasing is really cool because it means a continual hacking cough. Like when it just starts going and you can't stop it. It's kind of involuntary is the idea. Prayer just happening. Well, how does this work? I I, uh, was in a class when I was at Biola and my professor, J.P. Moreland, he taught this fascinating thing about human consciousness and how it is possible for us to pray without ceasing, pray involuntarily, pray um, as a continual hacking cough. And, and this is how he explained it. Um, human consciousness is an interesting thing. And and I want to explain a few uh, scenarios all of us have been in and experienced with our, our consciousness. <clears throat> so... Um, uh, human consciousness isn't so much like a light switch that's on or off, but even when we are conscious, it's more like a dimmer switch where there's like degrees of intensity, brighter or dimmer in the sense of what we're paying attention to. Right. You, you've all sat in class or probably at church um, or in a movie and you've zoned out. We call it right. I just zoned out for a second. And that means I was there and my eyes were looking at a certain thing, but I wasn't paying attention to it and I wasn't focusing on it. My mind was elsewhere, right? We do this all the time. We daydream. Some of you may be daydreaming right now as you're listening to this podcast or watching the podcast, right? But, but our consciousness can focus in on something and have it as the center of our consciousness. So like if you're, if you're sitting across the table from a friend and you're talking about a topic over coffee, you can focus in on your friend and you can see their face and you can understand their body language and you're intently listening to their words and you have the power to take your consciousness and zoom in and focus on something Uh, We all have this ability. Now, what else is interesting is we have a field of consciousness that is kind of like what's going on in the periphery of our life. Um, And this has been proven. So if if somebody is focusing, like let's say on on a conversation they're having with somebody at a coffee shop, and an object is um, brought from the side of the room, let's say somebody has a big uh, neon sign that says some strange word on it, right? And they bring it past the person who doesn't even um, acknowledge it or focus on it, but they're talking with their friend and having this conversation. Um, If that object is is brought alongside of them, there's been studies shown that a person can recall that happening in their periphery um, in their subconscious, even if you ask them, Hey, what was it? And they go, I don't, I didn't notice anything. Uh, our subconscious can pick up these things in the periphery and it kind of like, uh, filters them out to be honest. So, so we can focus on something, but these types of things happen to us a lot where there's something in the periphery that gets just ongoing in our mind and involuntarily happens. For instance, have you ever been like at a supermarket or at your favorite clothing store, and a song is on over the speakers, and you don't even like acknowledge it? You just hear it, and you know the song, and then um, like three hours later, you notice that that song is just like running in your mind. And you're just, you're just repeating it to yourself, right? And then you kind of like go, whoa, where, where was that? How did, how did that get in there? How did that song get in my head, right? We say this stuff all the time. Well, it got in your head because you heard it and subconsciously you started singing along with it even though it wasn't the focus of your consciousness. And um, you just kind of kept going on and it kept happening. Has this ever happened where you, you, you hear a song the night before and then you wake up the next morning and you're like singing it in your mind right as you wake up? You don't intentionally even have to try doing it. It's just involuntarily happening. So this is this is how I think, and, and J.P. Moreland says, we can... Pray without ceasing in the periphery. When it comes to prayer, it is impossible to keep God as the focal center of our consciousness all day long. But it is possible to develop the skill of keeping God and keeping prayer in the periphery of our minds all throughout the day. So we, we can have our prayers playing like that song is playing in our mind. We can have our prayer playing in the periphery of our mind all day. And I, th- I think it's possible to pray without ceasing if we do this. Now, how, how do you do this, right? Well, there's actually this, this old practice that Christians for the last 2,000 years have found very interesting and helpful. <clears throat> um, and and what has come to be called lately is the Jesus prayer. And it's very simple and and. I know what you're thinking. You're like, why is this with the hesed idea? Well, here's how it all ties together. Um, The Jesus prayer is just a short prayer and basically says, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Much like Bartimaeus in, in, in Mark saying, son of David, have mercy on me. We should pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, have hesed towards me. King David prayed this. King Solomon prayed this. These blind and leprous men of the New Testament cried out for it. We should appeal to God and his Hesed, his loving kindness, his mercy. And so the Jesus prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And what you can do, and I've done this and it's it's phenomenal, is is it's such a short prayer, but try to practice saying it two or three hundred times in a day. Now, it sounds like a lot, but it's really not, because you could probably bang out you know, saying it 25 times before you even get out of bed. And then while you're in the shower, you could probably do another 25 times. And then while you're brushing your teeth, you could do another you know, 15 to 20 times. And, and it, it doesn't always have to be out loud, but sometimes it can be out loud. But just thinking this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And as you do this throughout the day and throughout the week, what you're going to notice is that that prayer is just playing in the periphery of your mind like an ongoing cough. It's just there. Now, um, I I did this for for a while. I I heard this and I thought, no way, that can't be true. So I was like, I'm going to try it. It sounds like a great prayer, praying to God for mercy. And so I did. And what I found was uh, after like a day or two, I was just like singing it in my mind. It's just there and I'm not consciously thinking about it. I found myself, no joke, dreaming about it. I was dreaming about praying this prayer. It was so embedded in my subconscious. And then I found myself waking up with it on my mind and on my lips saying it. It's a beautiful thing. And we can pray without ceasing in the periphery of our consciousness as we practice uh, the Jesus prayer. Now, some people will say this isn't a good practice um, because of what Jesus instructs us to do in Matthew 6. Uh, and so I, I, I want to approach this because some I've, this is the biggest argument that I've had against the Jesus prayer. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> specifically verse 7, but we'll look at the... Uh, the context too. So let me turn to Matthew six. And, uh, this is in, uh, the sermon on the Mount and Jesus is talking about, uh, giving to the poor and praying. And, um, in verse five, he says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees uh, what is done in secret will reward you. And then here's the important part for us, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Before you ask him, all right? So, some people will say to me, Robbie, we should not do the Jesus prayer because it's literally repetition over and over and over, the same prayer over and over and over, right? Well, ha- let's think about this for a couple of seconds. I, I don't think what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, uh, 7, and 8 is a prohibition against the Jesus prayer. And uh, here's why. I think the key is he says, don't use meaningless repetition. Well, these words aren't meaningless, right? These words are very meaningful, especially if you're considering mercy as God's hesed towards you. It's meaningful. Uh, But the other thing is this. uh, Jesus prayed repetitious prayers. Now think about this. Um, Actually, right after uh, what I just read in verse 8, it says uh, that Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And this is the Lord's prayer. So think about it. He's saying, don't be like the Gentiles with meaningless repetition. But when you pray, pray like this. And then he gives them something to repeat. Do you see that? It's Very interesting. He gives them something to repeat. We also know when Jesus was in Gethsemane in in Matthew 26, he goes to pray and he tells his disciples, stay awake and pray with me. I'm going to go over there and pray because my soul is in distress. And he goes and prays, Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will. Yours be done. And then he comes back and his disciples are asleep. And he kicks them and he says, hey, wake up. Can't you just pray for me? I'm in an hour of need. I want you guys to stay up and pray for me. And then the text says uh, in Matthew 26, that Jesus went back and he repeated the same words again. And then he comes back and finds him asleep again, tells him to wake up. Then he goes back and it says he went back a third time and repeated the same words again. So Jesus isn't against repeating prayers. All right. He's not against repeating prayers um, at all. He actually tells a parable to disciples and he tells them to be persistent in prayer and not give up, right? And this is that prayer of the persistent widow who keeps going to the judge and annoying him and nagging him over and over and over with her request until he relents and gives her what he wants. And Jesus says, when you pray, you need to be like that. Be persistent. Keep going to God. The father wants you to keep coming to him. And if you notice, David over and over asked for God's hesed, it's not a bad thing to ask for repetitiously. We can repeat this and ask God to give us Hesed, to show us mercy. And so this prohibition in Matthew 6 is not telling us um, that we can't repeat prayers. I mean, think about it. Like if you if you can't repeat words in prayer, then you can't pray very long because you run out of words because our vocabularies aren't very big, right? We have to repeat things. Jesus repeated things, he tells them the Lord's Prayer to repeat. It's not about that, but it's about the idea of meaninglessly repeating things with the idea that by saying a lot of words, your God will hear you. That's the idea. And Jesus says, don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask. You don't need to get his attention through yelling or screaming or saying, hey, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. He's saying, don't do that. He's already engaged with you. He's already bending his ear and placing it to your lips because he wants to hear what you have to say. So he's saying, don't try or think that you need to force God to listen to you. He's already already listening. He's already there. So we should put into practice in our prayer life, I think, the Jesus prayer. I would challenge you, try it. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Try that today. Try that tomorrow. Repeat it to yourself many times out loud and in your mind and see how this starts to transform the periphery of your consciousness so that you can begin to pray without ceasing. And asking God for his hesed, his loving kindness, his big love, his mercy inclined towards us is such a great thing that I think we need to remember who he is and the hesed that he has that's available to us and ask him for it. I hope this has been helpful to you, and this is more of a practical episode, not a lot of apologetics, but more of some theology and some. Uh... Um, orthopraxy, how we live out our lives as Christians, but do take up the challenge try the Jesus prayer this week and then let us know how it goes, hit us up on social and tell us uh, if it was beneficial to you and, and what um, what the Lord was teaching you through it So we really appreciate all of you who listen we appreciate you um, just being out there, part of the Christ Culture and Coffee community, continue to go out and make a difference for Jesus in your culture, continue to go out and teach people and tell people the truth about who Jesus is so that we can persuade people to see the truth, and come to put their trust in Jesus Christ. That is our prayer, and that's our hope for this podcast. So thanks so much for being with us this week. Again, Tyler will be back next week with me, and we will be having another cool discussion around apologetics, theology, and culture. We'll catch you next week on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our stoneware, Christ Culture & Coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ Culture & Coffee.